everybody. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 29th of January, 2012. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources. On the show today, I'll be doing a review of one of our fellow podcasters who's written a book. That's Alex Haddix, and the book is Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. I've also got a bit of feedback uh, on some of the stuff that we were talking about with the police. You know, in the last few shows, we were talking quite a bit about what should the role of police be in our society? Do we want law enforcement or do we want peace officers? That type of thing. So we'll kind of follow up with that a little bit today. Now, speaking of some of the feedback, if you would like to contact the show, there's a couple of different ways to do so. You can use the voicemail, which is probably the easiest way, and that is 206-745-2731, 206-745-2731. As many of you guys know, I do another podcast called The Armed Ape, and I use that voicemail number for both this show as well as The Armed Ape podcast. So if you do call in and leave a message, just let me know for which podcast you'd like it played on. If you would like to record your own WAV file or an MP3 file and then email that to me, I'd be more than happy to play that for you on the air. Or if you would just like to write an email and have me read it out for you, uh, again, more than happy to do that for you. The email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Our first bit of feedback comes from uh, Braden, and Braden is in California. And he writes in, Dear Mr. Brown, thank you for the great Firearms Cafe podcast and especially your non-gear political slash philosophical discussions. Regarding the latest podcast on police power, show number 66, you talked about open carry in California. I believe that you are unaware that Governor Brown, a.k.a. Governor Moonbeam, proved he's not a friend of gun owners. He signed the AB-144 bill, supposedly at the suggestion of police chiefs, that makes the open carry of handguns, loaded or not, illegal. Previously, the open carry of unloaded handguns was allowed, but this bill put a stop to it. Thanks a lot, Governor. Now, the only methods of carrying firearms for self-protection is with the challenging to get concealed carry, may issue, license, or by long guns. So this is another example of police powers at work whereby they feel threatened by armed, law-abiding citizens and feel the need to attack the Second Amendment. And then he puts a link here. Uh, See the Bills and Legislation section for details on AB, which would be Assembly Bill 144, and then he gives a link, which I'll go ahead and put in the show notes. He writes, and he is a uh, California Rifle and Pistol Association member, but not otherwise affiliated or in its governance. Thank you and best regards, Braden. All right, Braden, thanks for writing in. I hope to hear from you again real soon in the future. A couple of things on your email. 
first, I didn't know. You were right. I did not know that Governor Brown had signed AB 144, which is unfortunate. Uh, it, again, it's just trampling the rights of the citizens, taking uh, and putting more barriers into uh, people wanting to be responsible for their own safety and their own well-being. When you look at the bill, basically what it says is there is going to be no open carry of a handgun anywhere. They put something in there, maybe about an exception. The only thing I could think of as far as an exception would be if you were hunting somewhere with a handgun and you had it on your person while you were while you were carrying. So you had it on your side and on a, you know on your hip in a holster, and it would be out in the open. That would probably be about the only exception that they would would see as being valid. In theory, since the bill is specific to handguns. You could carry long guns openly. Now, I don't know. Now, of course, I don't. This is going to show my ignorance here a little bit. I don't know if open carry of shotguns or rifles, so again, long guns, has been addressed at all. So it may, you may not be able to. But if it has not been addressed, you probably could. And I'm sure some of the same restrictions would have applied to the old open carry in that it couldn't be loaded, that type of stuff. I don't know how you would be able to carry it. I'm sure you would not be allowed just to openly carry it in your hand. It would probably have to be in some sort of a scabbard or something like that. If you look at the uh, in the Old West when they would have their lever actions, they would always have it in the saddle scabbard. So maybe something like that that would be strapped to your person. Anyway, uh, also the difference between a may issue state and a shall issue. Basically, the permitting process in both states is is pretty much the same. You have a certain amount of hoops that you're going to have to jump through. Once you jump through those hoops, and as long as you're not a, what would be called maybe a prohibited possessor, so you're not a felon, you don't have domestic violence things, uh, you know, this and that. Uh, You haven't been convicted of certain, uh, certain crimes. In a shall issue state, once you've filled out the paperwork and once you've passed your background check, they mail it out to you, and it may take two or three weeks. It may take a couple of months, but you'll eventually get it. In a May issue state, you're, once you've gone through and done everything, you are still at the mercy, and I'll, I'll use that word in its widest context. You're still at the mercy of that law enforcement officer. So they can arbitrarily decide, eh, I just don't like your look, I just, or they can just say, I don't think you need it. I don't think you have valid reason for it. Doesn't matter that it's your right to do so. They have that power to say no to you. And you can't and at that point you have no you have no recourse. You you basically just cannot carry a firearm with you. And especially now that they've gotten rid of open carry, you can't do that either. So what I think may happen is somebody is going to probably bring bring suit uh, against the state of California, basically saying that their Second Amendment rights are being violated because they cannot, and it's going to be somebody that tried to get a May issue or tried to get a concealed carry law, a permit and was denied, basically just probably on the grounds that they don't think that what uh, that their that self defense is not a good enough reason. Uh, so that person will say, well, if I can't carry concealed and I'm not a prohibited possessor, and I can't carry openly, I have no I have no way to exercise my Second Amendment right. So I think we're going to see some lawsuits, probably somebody like Second Amendment Foundation 
we'll go ahead and do something like that and we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, but like I said, I'll put a link to, uh, that Braden gave in his email. Um, all right. Now, speaking of wacky stuff that's been happening in California, you know, a, a lot of times there's an argument when it comes to people being disarmed, the average citizen being disarmed or not being able to carry a weapon. They'll say, well, the police are there to protect you and the police can have the guns because they have all this training and they've gone through all these background checks and so they they don't commit very many crimes. But if you look at the actual numbers, people that have permits and have gone through the process have some of the lowest criminal activities, for lack of a better word. So they, they actually commit less crimes than just about any other group out there. And I, I came across an article, and it was out of Santa Maria, California. And what the article basically talks about is that there was a police officer who was shot and killed by a fellow officer, uh, and they were trying to arrest him at the time for suspected sexual misconduct with a minor. Uh, the guy who was killed, the officer that was killed, was actually on duty when the police tried to take him into custody. And when they tried to do that, he drew his weapon and fired on, on his fellow officers. One officer who was there fired back at the suspect officer and hit him once. And then, uh, you know, the wounded officer, the guy was taken to the hospital and later he died there. Uh, and then they didn't, of course, they're not releasing his name or anything like that right now. Uh, but again, just a, a quick illustration that shows uh, that just because somebody's a police officer doesn't mean that they can't make poor decisions, things like that. Now, in past shows, you may have got the impression that I'm pretty down on the police or I think that there's no place for police in society, but that's not true. There, There is a place for police in, the society, in our society. However, like I talked about before, we need to really make sure that they're living up to their end of the social contract that we've entered into and with them. Uh, it, it's it's going to be impossible to have a group of people, once you give them certain privileges and once you give them certain immunities, it's going to be impossible that no one from that group is not going to overreach. But what we can do, if we hold them accountable is we can keep the majority of them from doing that. And the majority of them, I believe, don't want to overstep those bounds. They're out there. They do want to do a good job. We need police. We need them. We need people when there's murders, when there's rapes, when there's robberies, when there's crimes where there's a victim. We need people to go out and solve those crimes. The the police in and of themselves don't keep us safe. That's basically an illusion. The police are basically an investigative unit of, of our society. But they don't really prevent anything. Uh, if they could prevent stuff, then you wouldn't have any crime. Crime, they would have, we would have figured out how to do that by now. But there's no way to prevent crime because you can't be everywhere at once. And if you are, you end up with a police state. And 
I was looking at an article on Lou Rockwell's blog, and I'll put a link to it. But it talks about how New York is looking to expand technology. Basically, I think it's infrared technology that will scan people at random and check for guns. So the way that it will work is that the uh, the gun would be cooler than your body temperature, than your skin. And so if they were scanning you with this infrared scanner, it, you would get like an outline or a shape of that cooler object. And so if it looked like a gun, then, you know, they, they, you're, you're going to get stopped. And people, some people would say, well, heck, that's a lot better than having to get patted down like TSA does at the airports, or that's better than having to go through the, you know, the, the nudie machine in front of everybody or being singled out. But it still tramples on your right to privacy. It still takes away your ability to be secure in your person and your possessions. So we're seeing, you know, again, New York, massive overreach. And of course, they're going to say it's all under the guise of safety. It's done to keep you safe. And if you're not carrying a gun, what's, you know, what's the big deal? You know, nobody's touching you. But of course, most of these wonderful technologies usually have some kind of oddball side effect that they don't know about for 20 years, or they knew about it and they cover it up. So I'm sure there's somebody who's really pushing this thing that's going to be making the machines that are going to do this and stands to make you know millions and millions of dollars. But the question I have is, let's say they put these things in place, is there any long-term effects that we don't know about? So if you have a kid that walks to school, or a group of kids that walk to school every day, or a guy that's going to work by these things every day, and they're constantly scanning them, by the time that kid is 40 years old, or that guy who's 20 now, by the time he's 40 or 50, is he going to have you know cancer of the liver by being constantly scanned? You know, I don't often agree with the uh, ACLU, but... Even those guys are saying stuff like, we don't know what the error rate is. We don't know how effective it is. We don't, you know, we need to know more about it. And for them, it's kind of a hard sell for even them to come out and say that because the ACLU generally is so anti-gun and they should be. If they're really looking at protecting civil liberties, they should be probably the most pro-gun outfit out there. And they're not. So anyway, uh, I have, let's go ahead and move on from there. I have got a review for you guys, and this is on one of our fellow Gun Rights Radio podcasters, Alex Haddix, and Alex does the Practical Defense podcast. So Alex has written a book entitled Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. So after reading the book, I kind of asked myself a couple of questions, and those questions were, well, who is the target audience, and what information is the author trying to convey to that audience? And then you say, okay, once you answer those questions, was the person successful at doing at, at getting that information to the people that he was aiming at? So the target audience, at first when I, when I saw the book or when I heard that Alex was going to write the book, I thought, well, maybe this is for somebody who's, who's maybe younger or brand new or maybe they're just sort of waking up to, to the reality of that bad things can happen to good people. Uh, but the more I think about it, and, and after I've read it, the more I think that the book is pretty much for everyone. 
so if you know it can be uh, as a, a a good resource for your 80 year old grandmother and it can be a great resource for your 18 year old daughter who's going to go off to college uh, the book is well written it's easy to read it's very concise which i like uh, it gives what he terms case studies which are real world examples where he'll say uh, this person left their laptop in a car. It was broken into, blah, blah, blah. This is what they could have done to mitigate that or to maybe have this particular situation not happen at all. Uh, as far as an overview of the book, he it's, it's a lot more set up, I think, towards getting your home set up to give yourself the best advantage you have to prevent somebody from choosing your home as a target. So if you've got, you know, correct lighting, if you've got, you know, maybe a security door, if you've got uh, a monitoring service or, or if you've got, which would be like an alarm company, if you've got maybe even little cameras or something mounted to where you can see what's going on. If a criminal comes and sees that when he's looking at your house to rob, he may think, ah, you know what, I'll go a couple of doors down. Again, I think it's a it's a well-written book. It's easy to read. It's a book that you can read in a day. Uh, it's only about 80 pages long. But again, uh, because this is a primer, you're not going to go into 15, 20-page details about you know a padlock and the different types of padlocks. And then another 15 or 20 pages on different type of locks for your windows, you know, so otherwise the book would end up being, you know, two, 300 pages long. Uh, and I think a lot of people would maybe feel a little bit overwhelmed. So I, again, I think it's a very good book as far as getting somebody just to be aware of their surroundings and to be aware of these are some of the little things that I can do. And this stuff, a lot of the stuff that he talks about, it's not going to be thousands of dollars of retrofitting to give yourself some security. Uh, so I will put a link to Alex's uh, website and put a link to where you can get the book. I think he, I'm not sure. I think he's got it also in uh, dead tree form, which I've got in my hot little hands here, but I think he's also doing the stuff for Kindle and Nook doing the ebook stuff and all that jazz. So like I said, I will put a link to it. I'd highly recommend that you get it. Uh, it's a good book. Also, if you're not listening to his podcast, uh, which is practical defense, you should be. All right. Thanks again for sharing that book with me, Alex. I appreciate it and wish you lots of success with it. A couple weeks ago, a couple Saturdays ago, I went to the gun show out here in in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, and it wasn't as well attended. It, it was still crowded, but there there seemed to be some vendors that weren't there. Maybe it was because some were up in SHOT Show. I don't know. But I was listening to the New Shooter podcast with Nick, and he was talking about an experience that he had and uh, at the California gun show that he was at. And I was thinking how different his experience was from my experience. And I'd recommend you go over there and listen to him, but uh, there was an incident where he had uh, there was a lot of rudeness at a ammo vendor. And when I, I got to thinking about that and... For all the gun shows that I've been to out here, I really haven't seen outright rude behavior. I've seen people, and, and this is actually, I'd say it's more from like a couple of the vendors. I've seen them where they've kind of looked bored or this or that, and they're not enthusiastic. 
But never, even those guys were not rude. If you started to engage them in conversation, they would talk to you. There was one guy who was a holster maker, and I can't remember who he was. But uh, I got to talking to him, and he was, you know, talking to him was like talking to a blank wall. I mean, he answered everything and was civil enough, but he just had like no energy. And it kind of made me, when I walked, when we walked away from that vendor, I was kind of like, well, I'm not going to buy from that guy. He can't even get reasonably excited you know he's like talking to a corpse about his own product and i was asking at the time i was asking for a very specific thing and whether he could make it and how much it was and that i was having trouble finding a holster and this and that and and he just you know wasn't enthusiastic at all about trying to sell me something Uh, so anyway at the gun show i was noticing that the ammo prices are are getting back down to kind of what they were right before the big spike. Now they weren't, or we're not the big spike. I guess I should say the the big ammo drought that we had back when uh, Obama first got elected. People panicked and thought uh, he was going to ban a bunch of guns, and so of course you couldn't find an AR-15, you couldn't find an AK, you couldn't find. 556 or 223 ammo you couldn't find 7.62 by 39 you couldn't find primers you couldn't find powder you couldn't find brass you couldn't find dyes for reloading you were hard pressed to even find reloading presses uh, now those you could you could get but sometimes you would go and you would look for the common dyes the 9 millimeter 357 uh, the rifle dyes uh, two two three or five five six were just gone. They weren't there, and uh, especially the primers, primers and powder. You couldn't uh, many a time you'd go into a place, a store, and they just wouldn't be there. Uh, and it's funny we've everybody's got kind of a short memory. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, couldn't find twenty two, or if you could find it, it was it was high. Uh, Let's say if there were maybe six boxes on the shelf, they would limit you. The retailer would limit you to just buying one. Um, and usually if you came in and you found something, you better buy it right then and there. In fact, I remember one time it was a, I think it was a pallet of 12 gauge, I think number eight, number eight or number seven shot. And I can't remember which it was, uh, but it was at Dick's Sporting Goods store and they had just had the, the pallet had been, you could tell it had just been set up and a guy came in and he said, well, Hey, can I buy this whole pallet? And the guy at the store said, well, let me check with my manager. And he, you know, called him up on the little walkie talkie and the guy's like, yeah, you can buy the whole pallet. And he said, I'll do it. And he took the whole pallet of ammo right then. And he said, well, you know, well, they, and then they started doing details about how he was going to take delivery of it and stuff. But, uh, you know, sat there and watched him pay for it. So I guess my point in a lot of this stuff is if Obama gets reelected, there's sort of two school, the schools, two school, good God, there's two schools of thought. There we go. I'm all flustered thinking about him getting reelected. There's two schools of thought on what would happen. And one is if he gets reelected, that the panic that we saw back in 08 and 09, that's going to be 
holiday. That's going to seem like there were time, good times aplenty and there was, everything was available. Because people are really going to go off the deep end and they're going to just get whatever they can get. The other school of thought is that even if he is reelected, there has been so much vocal opposition to any type of overt gun control measures that it would so hurt his party, the Democratic Party, that he won't really do anything overt. I don't know where... I, and I can see both sides of the argument. I tend to go more toward the first argument in that the guy is going to think, I've got nothing to lose. And it may be a thing that as he's on the way out, he just pins up a bunch of executive orders. Uh, you know, maybe he does a federal ban on semi-automatic firearms. And so no more can be you know, produced or this or that after a certain date. Or they have to have certain features like the Clinton era ban. So I don't know, it's 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 hard to say. But I what I would say is right now, if you if you think that you would like to have some extra magazines, or if you would like to have some extra primers or some powder or some cases, or you want to get a certain set of dyes, you better start ordering it now. Uh, if you would like to build up a certain amount of ammunition for your pistola or your rifle or whatever, I'd say start to do it now. If you'd like to get you know, 10,000 rounds of 22 ammunition saved up. Again, do it now while you can actually go out and get them. Most of the prices I've seen on the bulk stuff, so like the Federal and the Remington Junk, is uh, they're around like $18, $20 a box. But heck, if you did that, if you bought one of those a month, in six months you could easily have 3,000 rounds. Um, I've got some friends of mine that were asking me, they said, well, what do you think the amount of ammo is a reasonable amount to kind of have set aside? And that's sort of your, and that's what you kind of always have. Then you sort of shoot out of that. And what I was saying, I said, well, for your primary gun. So if you've got, let's say, a 9mm, if you've got a Glock or a Ruger or an M&P, XD, whatever, and that's what your carry is, my thing was you should probably have about four or five hundred rounds at a minimum of that, a minimum of four or five hundred rounds of that caliber. Um, and realistically, I think you should probably have a couple of thousand on hand. And maybe that couple of thousand is just ball. It's not self-defense stuff. So out of that 2,000 rounds, maybe a couple hundred of it is is your self-defense junk. So as you go through and kind of shoot it up and practice with it occasionally, you still have kind of a base to, to draw from. And for rifle ammo, 
again, I would say that you would probably, you know, try and get a couple of thousand rounds laid back up. And then what you do is you go and you, if you're going to go out shooting or whatever, you buy new and then rotate, you know, kind of like how we, when we talk about prepping, you know, you shoot up the oldest stuff and you put aside the new. So if you wanted to go out and shoot up hundred rounds of ammo, go out, buy, buy a box of a hundred, take that new box that you've got go put that in your, in your stash and then take your oldest box of ammo that hundred rounds and rotate and bring those out and rotate them out. It, it helps a lot really if, especially to help build up kind of a, uh, a good cache of, of ammo if you're reloading because you can save your brass so that if you go out and you buy uh, 250 rounds of UMC stuff for $60, after you shoot that up, you save your brass, and if you've got the primers and other things, you can reload, and then you can also build up your reload stuff. So, uh, again, I don't know. Let me let me know what you guys think. What do you think is going to happen if Obama gets elected? And then let's say, what do you think is going to happen if Mittens Romney comes in? Uh, you know, there that's a guy who. Man, that guy's a flip flopper. And it looks like that's who's being pushed on us. As you guys know, I'm a big Ron Paul supporter. Uh, and if you're a if you're a gun owner, if you're interested in the, in the Second Amendment, if you're interested in personal freedom, personal liberty, he's about really the only guy up there that I could recommend that you support. I mean, you got to make your own decisions and everything, but. Ultimately, he's about one of the only ones that's really stood up and been consistent over the years. He's always talked about that the people need to have guns and the bureaucrats don't. So, anyway, I'm kind of rambling on. But uh, I would like to know what you guys think, especially on the ammo thing. Do you think there's going to be another big panic or do you think that uh, people will kind of wait and see once he gets elected? I think if he gets reelected. There's going to be a big old panic. I think people are going to be running to the gun stores and buying anything they can get their hands on. All right, my friends. I uh, am going to wrap it up. I will talk to you next time. Take care. Hey, Mary,
the devil has given him superhuman strength. Oh, teeny.